Hey there. Because you're listening to this podcast, we at Blue Wire want you to know this. One, we freaking love you. And two, we want to learn more about you. Help us make more content you'll love by filling out a survey you can find in the description of this podcast. You'll help us out a ton, and you'll have a chance to win a Blue Wire t-shirt, hoodie, or a pair of AirPods. We appreciate you, hope you're staying safe, and want you to enjoy this podcast. This is a Web Canopy Studio production. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to Dropping the Gloves with Tim Wearsberger and John Scott. Thank you, everybody, for joining us on a wonderful Wednesday afternoon or Wednesday night, whenever you decide to listen to this top-ranked podcast on Apple Podcast. Tim shared some news with me. It's very exciting. We're one of the top podcasts in the world, Tim. You're just climbing those charts and keep going higher. Out of the millions of podcasts in the world, we're like in the top. We're, we're a one percenter. I would think so, yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing. So we really appreciate all the support. We try to put out good content. We're trying to push the boundaries of uh, podcasting when it comes to the NHL. But anyways, Tim, where where are you? I am calling from lovely Indianapolis, Indiana. So not too far now from, from Traverse City, probably like, what, seven hours maybe? Um, but I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be back until this weekend. So I still have a couple more cities I want to check out and visiting different people. So it's wild. So you're seven hours away and it's going to take you two or three days to get home. Yeah, probably more. I don't think I'm going to be home till Sunday. Why? What are you going to do in those next five days? Well, I'll be here tonight. Then I'll be in uh, Dayton, Ohio for a few days, um, seeing a client. And then I got family in Kalamazoo and I might spend a night in Grand Rapids. So Interesting. Yeah, I don't recur in the car until until Sunday, so might as well just check out a few more places. I'm ahead of schedule. We'll have to we'll have to recap the trip on a, on, a, on another episode. But how's the car drive? What kind of car did you rent? The Nissan Rogue, uh, brand new, which is kind of cool. It's the same car I own, but it's just newer. Um, but it's been driving like a dream and no problems. I'm just crushing like podcast and and music and. Uh, and just looking out the window. But like the last couple of days has been so boring because it's like, it's just farmland and, and like hills and, and grass. And that's not, it's not too different from anywhere else in the Midwest, you know, like all the exciting, uh, you know, scenic drives are, are done for this trip. I told you to pop South and drive back South, but you just wanted to go back up North. I would have to come back so... this way anyway. No, you could have went south and swung east a little bit and came back through the the back door of Michigan. Yeah, I've been over there, though. No, never mind then. Never mind. So it's funny that you're probably the only person in the whole country who's renting a car right now. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. I, just... I just got like a, a an email or something. It's like Hertz is selling their whole stock of cars. I'm like, interesting, because I'm, in I'm in the market for a big old van. So I was looking at their big extended conversion vans and i just don't trust buying a rental car because i know when i get a rental car i just beat those things to death so it's <laughs> just like no thanks yeah yeah and the hotels have all been empty too obviously 
Yeah, that's good. Do they have breakfast stuff in the morning? If they do, it's like a prepackaged, like a little lunch bag to go, where it's just like a pastry and maybe an apple and a water or a juice box or something. It's nothing fancy. Yeah, because they're not having people uh, obviously making breakfast these these days. No. All right, well let's um let's switch it up. I'm glad you're doing well. I'm glad the trip's going well. We're excited to have you back in Traverse City. We still won't have face-to-face podcasts, I'm guessing, for the foreseeable future. But you never know. Things change yep. rapidly in, in the, the climate that is today. So speaking of the climate that is today, what, is, what do you make of baseball starting to work their way back, basketball starting to work their way, way back, and same with the NHL? What's your take on all – and even college football? There's been an outbreak of teams just getting hit with this virus. Does that – give these leagues a little hesitation or are they just already too far ahead and they're just like full steam ahead? Like, well, what do you think about this? I mean, I got to think the the commissioners of the league and the, and the different, um, the players association and everything, they, they must be under a lot of pressure because there's so much money that's being lost by this whole thing. Right. Of, you know, potential millions that they could be making during this whole thing. So I imagine they want to ground some of that and get you know a half a season in before before it's too late but the more I see some of the stuff that's happening and and people just getting so lax about it and just for my travels too like I know people could say like hey why are you traveling you're you're part of the problem and and maybe right but like I'm still keeping my distance I'm not like shaking hands I'm not going to like bars and stuff but I've been to places like I was at Mount Rushmore the other day and I had to leave I was just kind of uncomfortable because there was hundreds of people there no one wearing masks. And I don't know, like, it's just, they were close and it was an open area. So maybe that's their excuse, but it's just like, there's a lot of that in every, in every state I've been to and, you know, bars that are just packed and they got live music again, like everything's back to normal. So when I see stuff like that happening the last two weeks, then I think about opening this back up to the public. It's hard to imagine. Yeah. It's interesting. It'll be um, a very, the next few weeks will be very telling to see if there is that spike, like all the, the experts predict. And gosh, with all the protests, and like you said, I think people were just chomping at the bit to get out with the weather turning, and you need to get out, and we'll see what happens if there's a spike. I, I think there will be. It'll, be. it'll be very telling the next few weeks when the uh, stats come out. But anyways, very interesting. Um, I think this has uh, got a have these commissioners very nervous when it comes to this sort of thing. If I'm Batman and I see the Philadelphia Phillies or Clemson football or some other teams in the other sports, they're getting hit. It just came out today that um, a few other franchises in basketball, you know, a couple of players tested positive. So it is, it's serious and everything is dependent on his decision. That that's the scary part. It's, it's not, a democracy when it comes to this it's almost a, once the ball's rolling Bettman it's up to him to shut it down you know it, it's it's his decision and the players don't have a say in that once the ball's rolling once they ex, once they approve whatever conditions or deals that they you know the NHL gives to them and they approve that then it's like boom you're expected to be there and they can't leave until Gary says you know what we're gonna we're gonna pull the plug on this so I don't know the number we said was what 12 to 15 something like that and yeah. they're gonna they're gonna pull the plug so uh, i don't know we'll see because it's it's scary i did not expect this many um cases this soon like the whole clemson football team pretty much got like there was over 25 people i think oh, I so it, it's just a that's a big number 
So anyways, speaking on the planning of this, all the hub cities, they've been kind of doing their research, trying to figure out where to do this, what makes the most sense geographically and this and that. They've been booting teams out left and right. Pittsburgh is out. Dallas is out. Minnesota's out. Columbus is out. There's six teams left that are in the running for the hub cities. It's Vegas, Vancouver, Edmonton, Toronto, Chicago, and LA. If you're a player, we're, we're going to con- consider Vegas a lock, okay? Because they've already said they have the, everything is there. The rinks, the hotels, everything is in place for Vegas to be that hub city. So that's number one. If you have to pick one other city and you're a team, just say you're the Arizona Coyotes or you're a team that is going to be beat out in the first round. What city do you want to go to just to have a good time? What is the most primo city for you, Tim? Is it Vancouver, Edmonton, Toronto, or a team in the U.S. market, Chicago or L.A.? It's L.A., right? It's got to be. That is the wrong answer. Really? I think L.A. is one of those cities where it seems like it would be really fun, and then you get there, and it's just so spread out, and everything's so hoity-toity, and it's just not a good time. So Vancouver then? If I was going to pick a city, yeah, it would be Vancouver or Chicago. I think those are the two cities where I would be leaning towards. A, the food in Vancouver and Chicago is the best. They're smaller cities, so you can get around easier. And it's just, you know, it has everything you need. I, I personally lean towards Chicago just because I'm, you know, I preferential there. I played there. I, I know what, what you're getting when you go to Chicago, but it's interesting. They even include LA just geographically from that standpoint, I would think LA would be gone because there's going to be no California teams in the playoffs and to have all these teams have to fly to California. It just seems like a logistics nightmare, but I guess if you have to fly anywhere one time, it really doesn't matter. Right. So it'll be very interesting. I know like, gosh, imagine the, just the boon for, that market as far as money goes to get those teams in there. Cause you know, fans are going to come and try to like get autographs and see the players that you're going to have an influx of fans. Like thousands of people are going to flock to these cities. I would imagine, especially if it's in Vancouver, Edmonton and Toronto, right? Like that's just a big get. So I'm very interested to see where this goes. Like if you're already giving one to Vegas, you got to throw a bone and give them, you know, throw one to Canada. Toronto has tons of rinks, tons of hotels. That would seem like an obvious decision. But then is it home ice for Toronto? There's just a lot of – it's just – it's fascinating, this kind of hub city. It's really neat. Yeah, but most it's of really, really are home ice for one of the playoff teams, like Chicago, Edmonton, Vancouver. They're all home ice. LA would be the only one where it would be home ice. Yeah. So it's just really fun. I, I um, it's, it's, it's funny. I don't pay too much attention to it, but then when I'm gearing up for a podcast, I'll do a little research. I'm like, man, they're already down to six cities. It's like last week there was 12 – so it's, it's kind of cool that they're, they're whittling it down and this thing might actually happen because there's a big part of me that still thinks, no, this is never going to happen. We're going to be in lockdown forever because it's like, what, month four of this? And I'm still at home. I haven't seen anybody. I had, we had our friend's birthday party the other day and it was the first time I've seen people out in public for the longest time. And we still, it was weird, like going and greeting someone. Like we didn't hug, we didn't shake hands. We just kind of like did the three the three to five foot like hey and we're outside and that's kind of how we kept it it was just very it's just so weird you know you don't know if you can go near somebody i don't know it was just a weird dynamic so i don't know tim i'm still in lockdown mode where i'm not ready to i don't know it's just weird you probably feel the same way when you're out and about seeing people 
It's yeah, and the more this little trip went on, the more nervous I got about this whole thing. Like what I'm just seeing out in the different parts of the country is just. I mean, I don't want to paint a bad picture. Like most of the stores, most locations, restaurants, whatever, like do have rules for masks or distancing, or they're just closed completely or takeout only. But there's a lot of of people gathering in big numbers out there, so it's 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 out there for sure. Yeah, it's 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 sad. But anyways, let's move on to some um, brighter topics. So this with the season progressing we started to talk about UFAs and RFAs and what, what happens? Cause some guys are already UFAs, like their season's already over and they've already focused on next season. Yep. And I'm also, I am also thinking about guys like Taylor Hall, who's going to be a UFA. He's coming into this. Arizona is going to be knocked out in the first round. They're playing Nashville. Nashville's a superior team. Arizona could pull a rabbit out of their hat. You never know. They have some decent players, but how hard is Taylor Hall going to be going out there when he knows he is in line for a massive payday in a month? So yeah. it, it got me thinking, let's take a look at the top five UFAs and try to find a landing place for them because there's some good players out there. I don't think we have the star studded UFAs like we have had in years past, but there's some decent players out there. Let's just start with Taylor Hall. He gets dealt from the devils to Arizona, he's supposed to turn his, turn that team around. Where, where does he land if he doesn't resign in Arizona? What is a good, do you have any inkling, any gut reaction for Taylor Hall? I have a gut reaction. This isn't based on anything I've read, but but what I'm thinking about good landing place for him, what comes to mind is Columbus because you've seen some big players in a smaller market, do some good things there. Like look at Panera and what he was able to do in that city. Um, take a little bit of pressure off him because he's got a roster around him, but also he can still be the guy. He's got a great coach there. I could see him doing being a great fit for Columbus, a little bit out of the spotlight compared to some of the other cities he's been in. I, I would love to see him there. That would be a, an interesting spot for him. I, gosh, I'm trying to think of how torts would like Taylor Hall. I don't think he fits in a torts system just because torts likes a more defensive minded player. And yeah, they honestly don't have much cap space next year. They have just under $9 million. They have a lot of guys locked in for the next few years. So I, I, I like where your head's at. That's an interesting strategy, but just a salary and B just the player and the coach. I don't think it meshes. I'm going to go the Colorado avalanche. Oh, imagine. They have a imagine that. that. What's that? Do they have a cap room for him. They have 25 million next year what? in cap space. Yeah. They have a lot of cap space. They're losing a lot of guys. Burakovsky, Nemestikov, Matt Nieto. All these guys are coming off the books. Nikita Zadorov, Barbarero, Con- Connaughton. Like they're freeing up a lot, a lot of cap room. And they still have these guys under entry level deals. The Sam Girards and the Ryan Graves and the Cal McCarr. Like those guys are still under their entry level contracts. So if you can get a haul, for seven million, Nathan McKinnon's only making six three. Like they have so many cap friendly deals to get a guy like Hall to pair with McKinnon and Landeskog and Rantanen and Kadri. Like that is an unbelievable lineup. Imagine him on that team. You got, if he like climbs the Avalanche, you gotta you gotta pencil them in for top three in the West, right? If not oh my gosh, West. pencil them into the Cup Finals without a doubt especially coming out of the West. Like they, that would make them, they're already a cup finalist in my opinion. Like they, they are an unbelievable team, but 
it's just uh it's it's crazy to think that that's my pick he goes to colorado i think that would be so so cool for him to go there all right let's let's move on let's go to the defenseman alex peter angelo st louis captain won the stanley cup gonna be a ufa older player 31 going to be 32 i believe what what do you think do you have any inkling on him they have zero cap space really for next year they are just up against it they only have four or five million bucks for next year so what what do you think they will do i i think of two teams i don't have looked at the cap situation for these so you can tell me i'm wrong again but the two teams that i think of that are could use like a stud number one leader defenseman are the philadelphia flyers and edmonton oilers Ah, I like that. I like the Edmonton Oilers. Philly, Philly has no cap space at all. So they yeah. are kind of up against it, but Edmonton could shake it. If they, you know, move some stuff around, they definitely could use the defensive help. They only have 12 million for next year and they still have to sign a bunch of guys. So I just, I like where your head's at, you know, who knows, maybe they can move some, move some guys around. I'm thinking the Toronto Maple Leafs. <laughs> just kick Barry get rid of Barry. Ty- get rid of Tyson Barry that was that was a mistake in trading for him and just get Peter Angelo your defense in Toronto needs to be shaken up this guy will log 20 to 25 minutes a night and he is just he's a stud he's a proven winner he's won a Stanley Cup how cool would that be to see him there like it would just be so cool they would have to maneuver some contracts because listen, Peter Angelo is going to be looking for eight, $9 million a year. So it's just, uh, it, w- it would take some maneuvering from the GM there, but I, th- I think they could make it work. All right, let's go, maybe go to a goalie. What do you think of Braden Holpe? I can't imagine him going anywhere. You don't think so? No. You I don't mean- think the Washington Capitals are going to step away from him. They got that young Russian who's playing great. He's only played what 20 or 30 games so far in his career, but he's, he's doing great. I think he's, what does it say? He's got like a nine thirteen save percentage. He's got impressive numbers and hope he's, he's been slipping consistently for the last few years. Yeah. But what do you think of like the window for, for, for their, you know, OVs and Backstrom's prime Oshi, like they only have maybe two or three more years with, with this group. I got to think. So why, why risk that on a kid who's really unproven? I don't think – I think their window is this year, then they're done. Uh, I don't think they have many years left after this. That's just my opinion. But I, I could be wrong. I know I know Backstrom and Ovechkin and Kuznetskov, like they're good players, but they're – like Oshie, they're getting up there. Ovi's yeah. going to be 34, 35. Backstrom's 33. Oshie's 34. Like those aren't your prime years anymore. So Holpe's 30. He still has maybe two years left in him. I think Washington's going to let him go. Samsonov's only 23. He's still on his entry-level deal. I just think they let him go. They have a good kid in the minors, Phoenix Copley. Decent goal. You can be a backup. I think Braden Holpe goes to the Hawks. Oh. They got the money, right? I think they have some money. Crawford's a UFA. I don't think they re-sign him. I think... They save a little money on Holpe. They're, he's not going to get the six million bucks he gets this year. They they sign him for three, three to four. Take that extra money, use it on the back end. The Hawks have a good team, and if they kind of surround themselves, put a few more defensemen in there, maybe plug in one decent forward. 
they're right back in it. Like they do have some good pieces that are still, you know, fresh legs. Taves, Kane, those guys still produce. I don't know. I, I think that'd be interesting to see him head there. Because that, it just, fits in so well because that's exactly the kind of team that could just catch magic in the playoffs. And Holpe's the kind of guy that could, that could do that too. So if the two came together, they were able to make it work. I think they probably still need some help on the blue line, right? I mean, Keith's up there. Seabrooks is done. They're going to need their, a guy. Their blue line is a little thin. I agree. This is what brings me to the next player. Boston Bruin Tory Craig. Where does <laughs> he go? Timmy, oh, he's staying. Where in does he go? He's staying no, in they can't afford him. They can't afford him. They, everyone, he wants to stay in Boston. He wants to. But he better take a big pay cut. He better. He's making five two five this year. Do you think he's going to sign again for five two five when Charlie McAvoy, who's the human pylon, is making four nine? Mm. Brand Brandon Carlo, who should be in the East Coast, is making two eight five. John Moore, who can barely make a breakout pass, is two seven five. Tory Krug should be making seven, eight, nine million dollars. He's that good of a player. Well, not only that, and, but they've got Charles, the UFA, and Grizzlix and RFA too. So they got some decisions to make. They have some decisions to make. So what DeBrusque is up, like they're they're gonna have to re-resign him to some decent money. What do they do? What do they do? Krug is so good. They gotta let him go. They can't sign him for eight, nine million dollars. They have 20 million in cap space. That would eat up all of their cap space. And I just don't see the Bruins. They're very, very, very good with their cap. They don't sign guys to those big-time deals, especially when Krug isn't getting any younger. He'll be 30, year, 30 years old next year. You know, I, I just don't see – he's going to want a long-term deal. He will want a term of five or six years for $8 million. That's what he's going to want. He's going to want $40 bucks. I don't think the Bruins are going to give it to him. I don't think he's – I think you can get that in the open market, but I could see him getting – a hometown discount for like six and a half or something for, for six years, six. I, well, the Bruins would love to give him that, but I don't think Krug will take it. If you had to pick a team where he had to go, you got it. He's going home. Stevie Y is revamping this team. He's going to make some nice decisions. They got a decent young group in Detroit with Bertuzzi and Larkin and all those other young players that fly around out there, throw Tory Krug in there. He's won a few cups. He's from the area. He's from Livonia, Michigan. I could see. I could totally see that happening. I got to correct totally. you though. He's been to two cups. He's won zero. So I don't think haven't haven't sniffed it. Oh, he hasn't won a not, cup. No, not he wasn't there in 2011. He came up during the 2013. Remember, he signed right out of college and came against the the. Uh, the series against the Rangers and put up like four points in four games. In it just feels like the Bruins win the cup every like four years. <laughs> They've only won one in the last 40. Wow. So, it's their so, goalie. So he sniffed it twice. He's not crossed the threshold. I don't think if he's looking at his age and thinking about, I need to win before this, my season's over, my career's over. He's not going to Detroit. Um, I, I don't know. We'll see. I, I truly believe he's leaving Boston. I think the, the team that makes sense for him the most, it's there. It's the Detroit Red Wings. I don't know. Well, we'll see. All right, let's go to another defenseman. The D market is actually hot this year. There's, there's, there's some like decent defensemen. This guy is, I think he's like a, a five, six defenseman, but for some reason people like him. Tyson Barry or Barry. I'm not sure how you say his last name. Um, he plays for the Toronto Maple Leafs. He is a, a minus eater. He loves getting minuses. 
and he doesn't play much defense, but he knows how to like skate fast. That that's his thing, I guess. Tim likes him a lot. I like um, someone else who's going to win the Norris in a few months. You know <laughs> what I'm talking about? No, you know what? Say his name. Say his name, Jake Gardner. Okay, so Tyson Berry. I've already predicted Toronto signs Peter Angelo for next year. That's where that money is going to be allotted to. Where does Tyson Berry go? Does he go back to Colorado and just go full circle and just say, take that Toronto for this awful trade? What do you think? I mean, that would, he seemed to do really well there, obviously putting up 60 points, I think last year, year before. Um, I don't know. Would they take him back though? Especially if if they're going to go sign uh, Taylor Hall or someone like that. No, I think they wouldn't just because their defense, they have arguably one of the best defensive crew in the whole of the NHL. Like they have a decent one through six. Bet online. There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partners, betonline.ag. Sports are slowly making their way back. And Bet Online is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all of USC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer matches. And if you need even more, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day, every day live on their website. Are you looking for something else other than sports? Bet Online has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out. I wouldn't want to go to a casino, Tim, would you? No. Stepping in to a casino during this atmosphere? Might as well just give me a death warrant. That's why Bet Online is so advantageous. Get your fix at Bet Online. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE for a free welcome bonus. That's one word BLUEWIRE. Bet Online, your online wagering experts. think when you're looking at teams that need to fill holes especially at the the d core a team that was stacked on defense three years ago then just got decimated with injuries and free agent signings and a guy just playing quitting hockey is the winnipeg jets oh yeah so i think that they, he would fit his team he could run the power play which they need right now they have those run and gun forwards who just love to get up and go with the shifleys and the wheelers and the line a's and the O'Connors, like those guys like to go. And Barry would fit right into that. They love the second wave of the defense coming in. The forward drives the D back, and they just kind of popped it, pop it back to the D-man in the rush. I think he would fit great there. So, I don't know. Maybe he doesn't want to play in Canada anymore. He's tired of it. He had a bad taste in his mouth with Toronto and the media and stuff. But if you're looking at just straight systems and wanting to win and what works best for the team and the player – I would go to Winnipeg. That would be a no-brainer for me if I was uh, Tyson Berry. Well, that's and they have spot. the cap space. They have the cap cap space. Excuse me. It'd be a great spot for Tory Krug too. I mean, just imagine like just snapping passes to uh, Shifley or Line A or like, Kyle Connor just flying up the boards and just that breakout. I mean, they. I could see them both going there if they got the. It would be lethal if the, if they went there. I I think Krug is a far superior player to Tyson Berry. I think he plays a more physical style of game. He's more sound in the defensive zone and he's better offensive offensively. Frankly, yeah. I know when I played against Krug, he was just solid. Like he's a good, good player. And like, I know I dump on Barry a lot. He's a good player. He's a very, very good player. And he just, 
puts numbers up no matter where he goes. I just think the Leafs, Gardner's, I think Gardner's better than Barry. And I, I don't know why, I just think he is. So that's why I kind of dump on him a little bit. But yeah, if you put either of those guys in Winnipeg's lineup, it makes them an instant contender. Because right now I think they are on, like their D isn't that solid. Like their best defenseman is Kulikov. You know, they don't have that guy who can, I guess Joshua Morrissey is good. Yeah. But they don't have the guy who can anchor the, what's that? Neil Pionk is pretty good. He's good, but he's not dangerous, you know? No. Like, like when I think of a Krug or a Barry, like they make me nervous if I'm the opposing team. I I keep an eye on them. I don't keep an eye on Pionk. Morrissey a little bit. He's a good player. Kulikov, not so much. But then after that, they have like Nathan Boyu. He's been around. Dylan DeMello has been around. Carl Dahlstrom, Pullman, like just kind of guys, you know, not really great, great players who are going to be a game changer. So anyways, those, there's just a couple of UFAs. I'm excited for this. We'll see how it goes. I don't even know when the UFA period is, to be honest with you. They, they still, have they announced that? I don't think uh, they have. I don't know. I haven't seen anything. So I think that still has to be shaken out. We were going to do um, restricted free agents, but there's really not that many exciting ones, to be honest with you. So we just decided to pass on that. What I wanted to talk about is last last episode, it was interesting. Kaner talked about that St. Louis two-on-one rush. Yep. And it just kind of got my head spinning. What, like, when he was telling that story, what immediately came into my mind was how great Joel Quinville was. Because not every coach would do that. You know what I mean? Not every coach would reward players for hard work and understand the the game and the score and what's happening and who you're playing. Like we were playing in St. Louis and they had a rough team. They had Reeves. They had a few other guys who could chuck them and they were at home. They were getting embarrassed. They're probably going to do something, you know, to, to switch it up and to make a statement. We're in their division. So Q has the wherewithal to put me out there with the top line. I, I probably played the third period with them. And it got me thinking, what makes a good coach? Because I played for a lot of coaches in my career I would say there's maybe two coaches that would have done that. Q was one of them and Ted Nolan would have done that too. All the other coaches would not have done that. They would have let the lines play out. They wouldn't have switched it up and someone probably would have got hurt or someone would have taken a run or someone would have tried to take liberties on Kane, Taves, Hosa, Sharp, whoever we had on that line. So Tim, you were going to be a coach this year until you hurt your shoulder and (laughs) it was a major, major injury. You understand as a as a coach in the wings, we should say, what makes a good coach in your mind? Well, I I kind of like I was thinking about this, and actually we asked the uh, Twitter as well. And we got some good responses because I think like who's we? Because I didn't know we asked Twitter. Yeah, I asked on the Dropping the Gloves account. Oh, um, we got some good responses. A lot of the, the same things over and over. To me, it's like I'm I'm, I'm going to go past like you. Obviously, you have to have a solid understanding of the game. You have to like you have to be able to teach the game, right? Like to be a good coach. But I, yes. I kind of go beyond that. Like, what makes a great coach? And uh, to me, it's like it's kind of understanding the, the personalities and getting the best out of his players as people and putting them in places to succeed, and not kind of treating everyone or deciding beforehand how you're going to coach people. And uh, because people, I mean, it's everyone's different, right? And you're not going to get the best out of your players if you don't treat them as individuals. Um, so that's kind of what I was thinking. Yeah. I, I think that's important to know the players because I, I played for coaches who they just treat everyone the same and they're either like 
hard, hard, hard asses, or they're just soft to everybody. I, I feel like you have to know each player and that's hard to do. Like, I don't, I don't think coaches really take time to get to know their players. I like, I know a few coaches who are still out there. John Tortorella coaches every player the same. And that's just his style. Yeah. He's a very in your face, my way or the highway type of coach. And Joe Quinville is the complete opposite. Like he has a line, but he, he lets players, you know, push against him a little bit. And he, he's willing to, you know, seed in some battles, but he, he stands his ground in other battles. If players don't like a certain system or if players don't like a way the power plays run or if players don't like, you know, playing with certain guys, Joel will listen to them and take their input and, you know, work with it and, and change the power play. Whereas if you, if you went with that information to Tortorelli, he'd be like, no, this is what we're running. Like, this is how I run my team. I'm the coach or the players. Let's do this. And I think if you're a successful coach and both of these coaches are successful, it's tricky. You have to, I feel like Joel is more successful because he, he rolls with it a little bit more and torts is great, but I feel like his message, like I said before, many times it, it just wears thin after four or five years. And he just overstays his welcome where the players who have been there with him for a long period of time, they just like, are, come on, like we get it. Like it's just beating a dead horse. Whereas Joel, I think his message is fluid. It changes. He, he just adapts. He's like the Phil Jackson of, of hockey. It's, it's really kind of neat, but coaches that are not successful that don't last long they just get a i've had um, a good coach i had in buffalo was ron rolston he was super smart very detail oriented but what i think he lacked was a little bit of fear factor and a lot of coaches who are new to the game that's why they don't last long they don't have that fear factor or that authoritative kind of voice in the locker room they come in they're nervous they're new they're meek they don't have that presence and you need to have that presence as a coach if you look around the league at all the coaches, they have that mojo where if they're talking, you listen. There's not a lot of guys who just kind of look like passive or meek. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And when you come into a locker room with guys, like if, if you're, if you're walking into the Bruins locker room and you're just like, Hey guys, how's it going? Like, uh, you know, I'm like, this is what we're going to run today. Like those guys aren't going to take you serious. If you're walking into a room with superstars who are making $10 million and who have won a Stanley cup and you know, they know what they're doing. You have to take like grab, grab hold of the reins. And I think that's what makes it a very, very, very successful coach. You got to come in with the presence. You got to work with the players a little bit. And you also need to lay down the law when you need to lay down the law. Like there, nothing made me happier when a coach would come in and just tear a strip off of a superstar. I loved it. I absolutely just, it gave me goosebumps just to look at him like, Oh my gosh, you're ripping in to like um, Joe Thorne right now. Loved it. Todd McClellan, great coach. He didn't take anything from anybody and he rewarded guys who deserve to be rewarded. So it's, it's a, it's a very tricky thing to be a coach these days, especially with the power that players have. And I think the days of just the coaches, the authoritarian figure, like just it's my way or the highway. Those, those days are gone. The players have too much power. You see it in the NBA. LeBron pretty much coaches his team. And I think the players now, especially the younger kids, they are starting to have that kind of power. The Connor McDavid's, the Austin Matthews, those guys could walk into the GM office right now and say, I, I want a new coach and I want him to play this system. And I think they would get it in a heartbeat. Don't you think? I do. I do. Yeah. And I remember like just the, the good coaches versus bad coaches. Like when you, as you start to get older, the coaches aren't you know, just someone's dad on a team anymore. It's someone who really knows the game. And suddenly they're 
they're seeing different things. They're saying things you'd never heard a coach say before. And it's so cool. And I'm sure like, as you progress through, through the different leagues and, and the levels as your career developed, you were probably seeing just an amazing difference in the quality and the style of the coaches as you, as you moved up into the leagues. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's not the, like all the coaches throughout like junior a, the college ranks, the minor leagues, the NHL, they all know their systems. Like no one comes in and reinvents the wheel. It's, it's a copycat league when you get to that level where if something works, everybody knows about it within six months. So it's, it's not a matter of this guy knows more hockey than that guy. When you, when you're talking about like a college or a minor league or a junior or an NHL, they all know the same. Like that's, let's just get that out there. I think what, what stands out is like I said, how you interact, how you portray that message, how, how, how you get it across your players. And there's, there's a lot of different ways to go about it. I remember in the minors, we would sit, in a video room and watch video for two hours a day. And it was just terrible. Like it was awful. But then you get to the NHL and my coach was my first coach was Jacques Lemaire. He's like, we're not doing video useless. We're going to get on the ice. We're going to do it on the ice. And that that's all we're going to do. And he was arguably the best coach of all time. So I think just getting that message across is the key point. That's what makes coaches successful. And that's what makes coaches fail. fail. So it, it's, it's hard. I want to read a couple of answers here from uh, the, the, the tweeters. So we asked the question, uh, what's the most important characteristic of a good coach? Because uh, I just wanted to get, you know, just single, single answers. Yeah. Um, people said consistency. Players need to know what's expected of them. I think it's a good one. The ability to adapt. Communication is a, is a huge one. Um, <laughs> this is a funny one. Making your young players make a list of the best players on the team. And then <laughs> <laughs> Not um, ideal. Honesty, being truthful with your players, standing up for your guys, uh, putting players in a situation to succeed, inspiration. And someone said a solid mustache, and I gotta agree there. You can't, you can't beat a solid mustache. Gosh, who was that guy in Ottawa who had just an epic mustache? He had a good cup of coffee there for a while. But I think, I think character, like you, you have to have a solid character. I think honesty is a huge one, and that all is all encompassing is in a person's character. I totally respected a coach who would look me in the eye and say, listen, you're not playing. You're probably not going to play for the next five games because we just don't need you. Rather than the coach who would just sit there and go, oh, stay ready. Like we might get you in tomorrow. It's like, you know, damn well, I'm not playing tomorrow. Right. Like, just tell me, like, I'm a grown man. Like, let's just not beat around the bush. Like I, I would be more impressed with you if you just said, you're not playing. We might need you in three or four games when we play these teams. So when it comes down to those and then, also to having the spine to kind of stand up to your star players, because it takes, it's hard to do that. When those guys have that kind of power in the organization, you have to be able to stand up to those players and to like sit them down if they're not playing your system. You know, I think that speaks volumes. If you're willing to sit down a player who is your top guy for a period, because he's not playing your system like that, that goes a long way rather than just, so I'm going to bench the fourth line. Like you lose a lot of respect that way in the locker room when you just don't have the backbone to like stand up to a guy when he's bad to like bashing you in practice or he breaks his stick or there's a lot of things players do. Players are spoiled, right? And players just act like babies when they don't get their way. We're very immature. We're used to getting things our own way. So if you don't get something your way, players act out, they break their sticks, they shoot a puck, they don't listen to you during meetings, they just do things that are kind of passive aggressive and just like really just childish. 
if you're a coach and you don't address that right away, those players see that and then they just walk over all over you the rest of the year. And it speaks volumes. If a player busts his stick, you go, okay, that's a $500 fine. I've seen it. I've seen it happen. And no one will bust a stick the rest of the year. But if you don't check it, there's broken sticks all over the ice every single practice. Like it's, it happens every single team. I remember I broke my stick in Buffalo. No one's like, you're paying for that one. I was like, Ugh, okay. And I had to give the trainer guy like 150 bucks. So it's just, you, you need to have accountability. That that's a big thing in hockey. And if you don't have it, if it doesn't start from the top, you're never going to have a success, success, successful team. Ugh. Anyways, that's my take on coaching. And it really does start from the top. If you don't have a good GM, a good owner, you see it in Buffalo right now. The owner, you know, they don't know what they're doing. Love them. Great, great people, but they're just lost. And it just trickles down from there. They panic. They fire the president. They fire the GM. And then they start again. It's just the same thing over and over again. Groundhog Day. A successful organization has a good president, good ownership. They let the coaches coach, the GMs do the GM work, and the players play. It's not like a hard concept, but for some reason, people mess it up. So, so much. It's very bizarre. But anyways, Tim, I think um, we know how to be coaches now. Let's do it. (laughs) Want to team up? Yeah, I think I would coach the forwards, and we would score one goal every five games, and you could coach the defensemen, and they would be injured constantly. And we would uh, be terrible coaches. That's one thing I said I would never do is people are always like, oh, do you want to get into coaching? Never, ever. Never in a million years. Their, Their hours are so much longer than players' hours crazy i don't know why anyone would want to be a coach like no thanks like you stay out you get up early you stay up late like there's so much pressure on you to win you're just dealing with these kids who think they're hot hot s and it's just like no thanks like i don't think so but anyways so are you driving anywhere tomorrow tim i'm driving to dayton ohio tomorrow only about two hours oh Dayton, Ohio, beautiful. Yeah, it's beautiful yeah. there this time of year. So before we before we wrap well, up, I want to do uh, one more episode of Hall or Not. It's been it's been a few weeks since we've done it, um, and it's super timely because well, and how applicable since they're yeah. Go ahead, sorry Tim, I'm just jumping all over you tonight. Yeah, because it, it is coming out. So um, before the news gets released, let's let's do uh, one of these players, and this is a funny one because I I think when we were when I was looking a few months ago, and maybe we talked about him, I didn't even include him in our list because I had assumed he was in the hall, but he's not. Daniel Alfredson. Um, and I'm reading this article. Apparently the, the Senators have never had a player in the Hall of Fame in almost 30 years they've been in existence, which is kind of crazy. Really? Um, so Alfie's got 1,100 points in 1,200 games, so just under a point per game, 444 goals, 63rd all-time, 54th all-time in points. Um and if not for the lockout, they said he would have had 1,250 in his career. Um, so he had a great career, no cups. Um, he, I don't know if he won a uh, an Olympic gold medal. With yeah, he's won a gold and a silver medal. He's got a Calder Trophy, six-time All-Star. Like he, he's got a decent resume. Um, it's his fourth year of eligibility, so he's been denied three years up until this point. I think he will. I think he will. I think this is his year. I think he's paid his due. And I, I think, I think he'll get in for sure. I, I think he, oh, this is what I think is going to get in Aguila, He's a lock, right? Yep. He's, like he, he's just done everything. He's won rocket with shards. He's won. I, has he won a heart? I don't know I, if he's won a heart. 
I bet he he's, has. He's won scoring races and all that stuff. He's won gold medals. So I think he's a lock. Alfredson, I, I believe, is going to be in. Hosa, I think, is a lock. Agreed? Yeah. I don't know if he's a lock for first ballot. I think he's a lock for the Hall of Fame. I think he's going to get in. First ballot. I, I just think his, like he, he's... Remember, he's my most underrated player of all time. <laughs> Bring it up. He's okay. won everything. Yeah. He's won everything. He won a Memorial Cup. He's won three Stanley Cups. He's won the World Championship, or he's won World Championships. He's won, been to the Olympics four times. Like, he's done everything. He's t- put up a ton of points. I think, he, I think he'll get in first ballot. Now, here's the one that's a little tricky. There's a couple. Alexander McGilney, does he get in? How long has he been eligible for? It's been a while, right? Gosh, must have been must be over a decade, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Then what, Brindamore, right? Brindamore, the, the only thing that's a knock on McGilney is his he he wasn't in the NHL for very long. Like he, he put up epic points when he was in the NHL, but he, he had a good portion of his career in the Soviet Union. But it's the hockey so, hall of fame, right? It's not the NHL Hall of Fame. But it's the NHL. There, there's the International Hockey Hall of Fame. But the Hockey Hall of Fame, I think, is just the NHL, I think, right? I don't know. I don't know. I, Maybe you're right. Maybe it is international points included, too. Gosh. He's, he's a controversial one, because I feel like most people say, like, we asked that question a few months ago, I think, like, what player is the biggest snub from the Hall of Fame? And he came up over and over again. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I think never, you should get I don't in. remember watching him play or anything. I think he should get in. It would be it'd be great. He was such a talent when he was on the ice, and he was the first player to defect from the from the red curtain. So yeah. that's always something special to celebrate. That here's an interesting one: Shane Doan. Does he make the Hall of Fame? I'm going to say no. 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 He's no. played over 1,500 games. Any 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 reasons? He's only made the All Star Game twice. Yeah, I mean, he's never, never been one of never the best. Really players. won any major awards? Yeah, he's never been. I mean, I, I don't know. Like maybe the, he was the best player on his team for some of those years, but he's never on the great teams. So no, he was never been one of the best players in the league. Never won any major awards. I don't know if he ever put up. Did he ever put up seventy five points in a year? I don't know. He he never really was a big point getter. He was a good second, third line guy. I mean, he's a great player, but Hall of Fame, no. Never, like, didn't get to a thousand points. I agree with you. No, if there was a nice guy Hall of Fame, he'd be in, <laughs> like a first ballot nice guy Hall of Fame. What about uh, uh, Vinny LeCavier? Uh, hey, maybe. Um, maybe. Gosh, that's a close one. He was so good for those first early part of his career. He put up like a hundred yeah. four points his rookie year. Won a cup. Um, reminds me of Eric Stahl. Like they, they, he was a few years early, but they had similar trajectories. Came on early, big center, strong game, strong rookie season, won the cup, and then the second half of the career wasn't quite, quite as good. Yeah, I, I, I'm leaning towards right now a no. Yeah. He didn't get to 1,000 points. He, he was really good for a short period. Then, yeah, he kind of just plateaued and then slowly declined. So what about Theo Fleury? That's another one that comes up a lot uh, for like like McGillney, and I just I don't really have an opinion on it. like I don't I know the name obviously but I don't really remember watching him play. 
do you? Yeah, he was he was really, really good. A feisty I think people overlook how good offensively he was. You know, he put up over a thousand points. Like he was a really, really good player, made the Olympic squad, like won the Stanley Cup for Calgary in eighty nine. Like he was a really, really good, good player. You know, he's only um it says here he's one of fifteen players in NHL history to have averaged at least one point per game in both the regular season and the playoffs. How many players did that? 15. That's pretty good. The other, the other 14 are all in the hockey hall of fame. <laughs> okay. So the other 14 is guys like Gretzky, Sackick, um, Gordy, Howe, Mark Messier. Good. If you had pretty to pick, good company. If you had to pick one of McGillney or Fleury, who would you pick? Um, gosh, probably Fleury. Yeah. I think McGillney's a better hockey player, but I think Fleury in the NHL was better. I think he like one more was more impactful and did more. I think I just like the way Fleury played. He's like a ball of ball of hate out there. Uh, I, I would take Fleury over McGillney, but I would, I would get them both in. That's that's So I, I would just let them both in. We'll see what comes out. Yeah. That'll be interesting tomorrow, right? Tomorrow night. Yeah. I know I had a Chicago reporter text me and said, Hey, if Hosa gets in, do you want to do an interview? You got it? I was like, why? I'm like, why? Like, well, who wants to hear from me about Hosa getting to the Hall of Fame? Just like, obviously I'm going to do it. I love to get in the press. Like, <laughs> let's be honest. But anyways, should be interesting. Anyways, everybody, thank you for listening. I hope, I hope you liked the episode. Keep us in that Apple, Apple top rankings of the 1%. I love it. Um, tell your friends. Tell your, tell your family. Um, I hope everybody had a good weekend. And we'll see you on Friday. Tim, have a safe drive. Have fun in Dayton, Ohio. The Dayton Buckeyes? Dayton. What's the school there? Oh, Seth, Seth Curry went there. I went to the basketball game last time I visited, though. It's pretty cool. They're, they're into it for sure. With Steph Curry? What? He went to Dayton. Steph Curry did? Yeah. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. Did he know. not? No, he didn't. I think he played, or did he go to Davidson? Hold on. Bear with me. Steph Curry College stats. He went somewhere that starts with a D. He went to Davidson. Davidson. Same thing. Davidson. I was way off. Yeah. All right, whatever. All right, everybody. That's enough. Thank you for listening. I appreciate the support, and we will see you later this week. Cheers. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Make sure you're following the show on Twitter at dropping underscore gloves for episode highlights, behind the scenes content, sneak peeks, and giveaways. Check out johnscottallstar.com slash shop for merchandise including t-shirts, hats, hoodies, and so much more. And please, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It's so important to helping us grow so we can keep delivering the hockey content and interviews with the players you love. Thanks and see you next time.